1: The Bootstrap Podcast Show is a production of Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together, celebrate, and give a voice to Australia's entrepreneurship community. On the podcast, we speak with the movers and shakers of Australia's entrepreneurship community to give a glimpse into the future of business.
2: Bootstrap Podcast on Ospod Syndicate. Vince Warnock is an award winning business and marketing strategist, coach and author, and host of the Chasing the Insight podcast. An ex radio announcer with over 20 years in marketing, Vince has been recognized by his peers with numerous awards, including being named as Fearless 50, a program designed to recognize the top 50 marketers in the world who are driving bold, fearless marketing and digital transformation. He has also funded multiple companies, including the Chasing the Insights podcast and academy, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to grow the business they have always dreamed of.
1: Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started.
2: Please welcome to the Bootstrap Podcast under Ospod Syndicate, Vince
1: Warner. Thank you for your time, Vince. Oh, thanks for having me, Mikko. I've decided I need you to read my bio out everywhere now. So I'll just, I'll just get <laughs> you to go around introducing me at events. It'll be awesome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> True. Yeah. So let's start by, we know that most of the Bootstrap audiences, individual who's starting up their own business already in entrepreneurs. Yeah. You grow in a poverty and abusive environment. And yeah. love to hear your journey as entrepreneurs. What got you from the starting point to getting here
1: right now? Oh my goodness, that is a good question, Mika. Um I think the biggest thing is survival, in all honesty. Like like you said, I did grow up in an abusive environment. Um a lot of people, as you know, we go a lot of people see the beautiful side of New Zealand, they see all of the lovely landscapes and they see the Hobbiton and Lord of the Rings and everything, but what they don't see is a massive undercurrent of child abuse, um, of depression, of um, just just poverty, basically, and that's what I grew up in. Um, so... I got to the stage at, um, like growing up, I got to what we call intermediate school, which is basically ages 11 and 12. It's like a it is an intermediary school between primary and secondary school. And uh, up until that point, home was a horrible environment for me. So home was a place where it was abusive. Home was a place where I didn't feel safe. Home was a place where I never felt valued. But school, on the other hand, was my happy place. This was a place where I could throw myself into learning. Turns out I was really good at it. Um, I could flourish, I could kind of control my environment there. So that that was kind of ages five to 10. But when I got to intermediate, I discovered something that I hadn't come across in the school environment before, and that was a bully. So all of a sudden, I had a bully at home, and I had a bully in the school environment as well, which meant that I had no safe space whatsoever. So entrepreneurship actually hit me at age 11. This was my way of surviving because I needed some form of escapism. I had nothing. I didn't have a job. Uh, I had a paper round for a few years, but that was terrible. (laughs) You don't get much money in a paper round. Uh, So what I did instead was I discovered, and please don't judge me on this, I had no moral compass at age 11. I had no adult figure around me that could tell me things were right and wrong, but I started my first business. And that business was pirating Commodore 64 video games and software because I discovered that, um, because I managed to, a long story, but I managed to build these computer systems um, at age 10, uh, like fix these ones that were broken. I managed to sell those off to um, family of my friends and get enough money to buy a Commodore 64. And that's when I discovered, whoa, all the games and all of the software is actually on cassette tapes. And of course, cassette tapes is just basically a ferrite pattern, so therefore, you can copy this. So I used to go with my friends into Parirua, where you grew up, Miko. We used to go down to the Deca there um, and they, where they had all the stereos, they had ones there that had high-speed dubbing. So I got my friend to go in there and distract the person behind the counter. Well, I would go up, take a video game that I had hired off this company for a dollar, put it in there with some blank tapes and just quickly high-speed dub a whole pile of them and then go and sell them to all my friends. And I made enough money from that to truly escape. And by that, I mean to buy a whole heap of comic books because comic books were what I grew up reading. They were just my escapism. But then I also bought a TV, a VHS, uh, a TV and VHS, which I put in my caravan. I used to live in a caravan in the back of my parents' house. So that was my escapism. Then I threw myself into movies. I would go down to the video store and rent all the Jackie Chan movies, uh, all of the terrible Italian ninja movies, uh, all of the science fiction I could get my hands on. So that was my first taste of entrepreneurship was Basically, wanting to survive, wanting to find some way to be able to provide for myself, so I could escape the world that I was living in at the time. Um, I then discovered later on, by the way, that that was um, not only immoral but illegal. So I, that that didn't continue. Every company I've had since then has been completely above board. Just saying, um, but I kind of it it really did start a, a spark inside of me, and I remember. Uh, after college, I worked for a truck driving company. I was a rubbish guy. I used to go and do rubbish collection and things. Um, but again, there, I was always seeing things different and looking for ways that I could make extra money, ways that I could try and um, you know earn some additional income on the side. And that became one of my focuses. I had a day job, and then I wanted to be able to create something on the side. Um, so then kind of fast forward through a number of different employment And I then started to launch my own companies. And this is when things really started to take off for me. Um, I was then in and out of corporate life and into entrepreneurship and back into corporate life and into entrepreneurship. I would do a number of different things there until finally I bit the bullet in, uh, oh, wow, I can't even remember the year now, but it was uh, about 10 years ago, I think it was. I decided to leave corporate completely and throw myself fully into a full-time entrepreneurship. And that was when I started Common Leisure.
0: Your podcast journey starts here. Take the first step on your side. Hustle with us. It starts with a great domain. Get your podcast web host with Beard & Coffee at www.beardandcoffee.com.au or find us at
1: Facebook. And this came about from a, A good friend of mine, and the two of us had always wanted to work on a project together. Little do we know that project would be a full-blown company working 24-7 in multiple markets around the world. We were like, ah. But we we came up with this concept. He was working with his stepfather, um, and his stepfather was an accountant, and he had all these issues around dealing with different software. So we thought, we can solve this real-world problem. So he came to me and he said, I think there's an opportunity here. So I said, well, if we're going to do this, we do this right. So we took about, I think it was around about eight months. Don't quote me on that. But it seems like about eight months of basically doing research. So we would just talk to every accountant that we could. And every time that we did, it validated more and more that we had a solution that would meet a very big need. Um, So that kind of started that journey. Then we finally decided to jump in boots and all. But that would mean six months of absolutely no income. Um, I remember the conversation with my wife. Uh, We've decided, by the way, complete sidetrack here, we're never going to get kebabs again. Every time we go to a kebab shop, we end up making major life decisions. I don't know what it is about kebabs, but for some reason, this is what happens. And I remember sitting there with her at the kebab shop and saying, look, this opportunity I've been telling her about over these months, I said, I really think there's potential in this. I really do. And I know it's going to be scary because we've got two kids, Um, and we're going to put them through school and everything. But the reality is there's huge potential. And she was like, you know what, I think the time's right. And I said, yeah, I think I need to do this. But if I do it, it's going to mean six months of no income uh, because I'd plotted out a roadmap to when we could get a seed seed funding round um, done. So it was like, okay. Then she turned around to me and said, actually, that's really interesting timing because you know how I've been wanting to change careers for some time because she was an early childcare teacher. But she had this passion to help people with addictions, this passion to help people with problems. So she wanted to go back to university and study addictions counseling. And that would mean no income at all for either of us for at the very least six months. So at that point, my, uh, I think he was 10 at the time, my 10 year old son. Discovered that he was actually the highest earner in the household, so he became like a little Don Corleone, you know, sitting there going, "Hey, you want us some money? You're coming to see me." <laughs> so, so that kind of that then started a very, very fast track journey. Um, we were on track exactly what we thought would happen. We raised a seed fund of a million dollars um, after six months. Uh, we brought on board two other co-founders as well. And then we grew really rapidly. So we infiltrated, and the New Zealand market was very small for us, but we knew the biggest markets were offshore. So we set up a shop in Melbourne, um, we set up office over there, and we targeted Australia, and then we were heading into the US and the UK. But that was a, I think it was a three or four year journey. And at the end of that journey, I was exhausted. Um, When you have four co-founders like us, where uh, Drew, who is my good mate, he's a developer, um, you don't put a developer in front of your potential class customers because they scare the crap out of them. Um, <laughs> all developers. I'm sorry if you're a developer, but all developers are mentally unstable, as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful people. I love Druda Bits, but ho ho, you know, don't put them in front of customers. And then the other two co-founders we brought on board were an accountant and a lawyer. So you can kind of see my problem here. Which of those four? It sounds like a bad joke, but which of those four—a developer, a lawyer, an accountant, and a marketer—could you put in front of people trying to sell? Well, that meant that it was me. Um, so I was on the road nonstop meeting with accounting firms, meeting with accountants, just selling, selling, selling. And I learned so much and I, had a, I did have a ball at the time. It was great fun. We were on a massive adventure. But there's a point where that wears very thin. And there's a point where you come home from a trip to Sydney and you're sitting in your lounge and your son says to you, he's 12 at the time, and he says, dad, can we have a chat? And I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, look, I know that you're trying to build a really good company but I think we need to spend more time together. And as a father, that does two things to you. Um, The first is it makes you feel this immense sense of pride that you've created this relationship with your kids and with your family where they can be completely emotionally honest with you. Like he didn't feel weird about asking me that, he didn't feel bad about asking that, he just knew that dad, actually, I wanna spend more time with you, I'm gonna tell you how I feel. So that was an amazing feeling. But the other half of me, oh boy, the other half of me was going, ouch, How did I not see that sooner? So I said, that's a really good point. Hold that thought, picked up my phone. I could see my son rolling his eyes going, oh, Dad's on the phone again. (laughs) I rang my co-founders, we jumped on a a conference call and I said, hey guys, I'm out, I'm done. Um, I'm the majority shareholder, I'll stay as the majority shareholder, but I wanna hire someone to replace me and I need to spend more time with my family. Um, So you can kind of picture the scenario, my son sitting next to me going, whoa, that was easy. And the co-founders are on the other end of the phone, swearing their head off at me, go, what, what? And I'm going, I'll, I'll talk Monday, bye. <laughs> I hung up the phone. Uh, and that's that kind of ended that chapter. Um, the next morning, I woke up with this incredible sense of relief going, oh, man, all that pressure is off me. No more travel. This is going to be fantastic. And then we went, wait, what's that thing that people need? Oh, that's right. It's a job because you can't actually go down to the grocery store and say, I'll give you some equity in exchange for some groceries because – apparently they don't like that despite how how um but how much potential there is in your company so at that point i realized i eventually took on the chief marketing officer role there um, now, as soon as I left common ledger, we also decided, I think they decided at that point, we had a lot of companies, um, sniffing around trying to buy us all those kind of crazy things that normal people do. Um, so that then made me, uh, that then opened up an opportunity where I joined the team at Cigna. Like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss an episode by
0: clicking the subscribe button. Now this podcast is possible by listeners like you.
1: Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Um, so this became a really good cool jump off point where we went, OK, let's actually have some proper negotiations. That was an emotional roller coaster. If you ever go through an acquisition, it is a crazy feeling until you see your bank balance. And then it's a really cool feeling. And then you look around for um, actual children you can sell. Um, so so that was good fun. Um, but yeah, so then I joined the team at Cigna until January last year. So January 2020, where again, after five years at Cigna, I felt that pull. I felt the need to get back into the entrepreneurial space. Um, I had published my first book. I was really feeling an urge, is the only way to describe it, to write my next book. So I talked to the team at Cigna and said, look, guys, um, I'm the type of person that I don't flourish in that environment. I don't flourish when I'm at that C-suite level, even though I operate very well in there, I was getting some really good wins. The reality is, I'm far removed from the impact that I make on people. And that's somewhere that I need to be. I need to be knowing that I'm helping individuals and companies. So I made the call to leave there to focus on writing my next book. Um, So I left in January or I think February actually, early February, 2020. Um, just before COVID hit, so oh, good timing, I tell you, man. <laughs> like, as soon as that hit, I was like, "Phew!" I got out of that at the right time. One of my one of my colleagues rang me up and just went, "You, dick. <laughs> I was like, "Yep, your problem, not mine." Um, but I, I left there to write my book, and then that very quickly kind of escalated into writing two books at the same time because um, apparently I'm I'm stupid and I like pressure, <laughs> so I'm writing two books at the same time. I then launched my podcast, and then. Accidentally fell into a coaching career and fell into helping uh, other entrepreneurs and helping businesses to grow and to pivot. Um, and a lot of that came through two things. One is when people realized I wasn't at Signa, which meant I wasn't working twenty-four-seven. They were like, "Oh, now we can ask Vince for some help," <laughs> which was cool. But the other one was uh, when COVID hit, which was uh, you know like a bombshell for a lot of businesses and. When I was writing one of the books I'm writing at the moment, um, I was interviewing a lot of companies from around the world, so in the US and Australia and New Zealand, and uh, one of the things that happened was all of them said the same thing, which was, hey Vince, look, we would love to help you, but our head's not in the right space at the moment. Uh, we still have all the same overheads. We still have all the same costs associated with our business, but right now we have absolutely no revenue coming in at all, and every revenue option for us has ceased. Um, when you... You know, feel something for these companies, which I did. You know, these are these are just awesome entrepreneurs. They're wonderful people. And I just looked at it and said, I can't leave that. I can't just go. Okay, never mind. Get back in touch with me when you're fine. I had to do something about it. So, I gave up my time. I sat down. I trained uh, these two little old ladies in Melbourne at a knitting cafe. I uh, trained them how to use Shopify and basic e-commerce techniques and how to market themselves. And within one weekend, they got their entire shop up and running online. Uh, Eight hundred and fifty products, and within two weeks, we're making far more money online than they've ever made in their bricks and mortar store and through their events, which was just amazing. Um, and then some of the other clients I was dealing with were double or triple. Their-
2: Do you doing this is COVID time, so it's during the pandemic right now. Yeah. Do you think it's it's a good time for individuals to start up their own business as entrepreneurs?
1: That sense of satisfaction you get from Helping entrepreneurs and helping business owners is unbelievably cool. Um, Okay, I'll answer that in two ways. Um, One is looking at the landscape at the moment. Um, So one of the things that happened during when COVID first kind of really impacted uh, businesses was there was a huge influx of companies setting up online. So a number of companies going digital, a number of people where suddenly they were out of a job, so they suddenly thought, I need to start something, at least find some way of generating some revenue. So there's actually a huge influx of businesses being set up at that point. So just from a landscape perspective, that would make you think maybe it's not the best time to do this. But the other lens on this is COVID has done something else really important, and as as impacting, as devastating and as impacting as COVID is, there is a few plus sides to it. And I, I'm ever an optimist, optimist. So I kind of look at things through this lens. But one of the things I notice is COVID and lockdown basically made people take the time to look at what's important to them. And for a lot of people, they are looking at their corporate jobs and realizing that corporate jobs are really, really fickle. Um, and this is something that was really important to me with my own kids. It's something you know, growing up, especially growing up in poverty, we saw that jobs you know came and went. Like you know, we, we our parents weren't career parents or anything like that. They would jump from one job to another because they'd you know be fired from one um, for various reasons. But the, you know, they would you would see that people we we would have these times where you know parents would be out of work. We would have stress. Uh, we would have no money, no food on the table. Um, I couldn't even afford, I think it was 50 cents to do swimming lessons uh, back then. And that was too much. So I couldn't even do that at the time. So it was all these things that we had to go without because of the futile nature of this type of employment. So I was really adamant that our kids would never grow up in that environment. Um, so I, that forced me to always have something on the side, you know, always have a day job, and then always have some kind of entrepreneurial, usually two or three different things that I'm launching at the time, um, until finally taking the leap, like I said with Common Ledger, into full entrepreneurship. Um, so I, I really kind of uh, inspired the kids and made sure that they knew that they, were, they could create their own wealth that there was opportunities out there, there was ways to be creative. And both of them had their own companies from a very young age. My son started a comic book company when he was seven um, until he was 10. And then he made modded Minecraft servers and would actually charge people to come in and be admins and charge them for extra little add-ons and things like that in there. Uh, And my daughter ran a dance school from when she was about, I think, 10, actually. Uh, And now she's uh, about to turn 24. She's got her own digital marketing agency. So So that is a lesson that I think everybody needs to learn. Everyone needs to learn that you don't have to be beholden to a corporate, you don't have to be beholden beholden to a nine to five job, that you actually can create your own wealth. So based on that alone, I would say, absolutely, man. I think any time is a good time to launch your own business. But now more than ever, you're in a position where necessity, which is obviously the mother of all invention, but there's so much necessity there to be able to generate wealth, to keep your family fed and keep yourself um, basically gaining and earning wealth. So can you tell us
2: what is the difference between you starting up during your area, during your year, being yeah. an entrepreneurs but starting up today what's the difference? So I think a long time ago we if you are entrepreneurs you have you have hard work you have to be a passionate. you have to be um, believe in your product but now yeah. today we have latest technology you have social media. So what what's
1: I think I think the biggest difference now is um, just the speed of everything um, in all reality. So yeah, you said there, Yeah, you had to have hard work, you had to have passion. I don't think those things change. I think honestly, as an entrepreneur, if you wanna succeed, um, you are going to have to put some hard work in there. You're also gonna have to balance that and make sure you're looking after yourself, which is another topic altogether. Um, But also you have to passionately believe in what you're doing. In fact, if you look at, um, there's a whole pile of studies done around success, particularly looking at entrepreneurs and success. And they found that there were three common traits amongst all successful entrepreneurs. One of those is an openness to learn. One of those is optimism. And the other is curiosity. So if you have those three things, then you are positioned well to succeed. Just keep seeing the and things. Don't just get bogged down by all the negative. Be insanely curious as to about why things work, why they don't work, why people behave the way they do, why they don't behave the way you think they would. Um, and of course, you know, just to ensure that you are always, always learning and not assuming that you know everything. So that's always been the case with entrepreneurs. But I think what's happened now with all the technology that's out there, particularly with social media, is the world has got a hell of a lot smaller. So all of a sudden you have faster and easier access to individuals. So what that means from an entrepreneur's perspective is you can test your theories, you can test your products, you can test your hypothesis faster than ever before by actually getting it in front of real people. You don't have to actually walk down to the the bricks and mortar store and interview uh, individuals there. You don't have to go and do a survey on the corner of the street. You can literally put a post on social media and go, guys, like on LinkedIn, I've seen this done just recently, and I'm going to be doing this this year with a project. They're literally going out there on LinkedIn and saying, hey, guys, I'm thinking of doing this, who's in? And you will get 20, 30 people respond and say, hey, that sounds amazing, count me in. Um, And then you can actually design what that looks like. Then you can build a product around that. Then you can start to interview these people, find out what it is about this that attracts them, what it is about this that actually works and doesn't work. So I think that's the biggest difference now. Um, I think that in itself, if you can tap into that, that means you are you're far better positioned now to succeed than ever before. Do you need a
2: mentors for that? So, because a lot of uh, business owner or individual, you just, okay, I got an idea, looks cool. And then so <laughs> then failed. So as an entrepreneur like you, yep. do you really need
1: a mentor to do that? Oh uh okay. I don't. I don't know. Use the word need in the sense that I know there are people that can make it out there without a mentor. However, why would you not? Um, like in all seriousness, uh, the most successful people I know. So I, I have. Uh, I have two coaches and two mentors. So I have two mentors that I look up to that I pay to speak into my life to be able to um, you know help me when I hit the wall and things like that. I have a coach uh, which she digs deeper into my business and basically looks for the gaps that I have. So because you're not an expert on everything, let's face it, you just need to admit that as an entrepreneur, you don't know everything. So getting a coach or a mentor will actually help you to fill those gaps. The other thing that they do is they highlight the blind spots because we only know what we know. And often we can be operating in a specific way or in a particular way without realizing there's a giant blind spot there. There's something that we're missing because we obviously don't see it, so therefore we don't know it's there. And they can come in from a fresh view, from a helicopter view, looking down on it and go, actually, Vince, there is an area here you need to work on. Or there's an area here that's stopping your growth or stopping your success. Um, and then the third thing they do, by the way, is, um, and th- this is something that most entrepreneurs don't like to admit, but we all have those days where you don't want to get out of bed. Or those days where you're like, you know what, I, I can't do this, man. Um, I need to go and get a proper job or I need to grow up and be an adult now because this is damn hard. It is hard there. But they're the ones who will then take the time uh, to reach out to you or you reach out to them and they'll, go, they'll give you perspective. This
0: podcast is brought to you by OsPad Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with a mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcast.
1: So they will sit down and they'll go, actually, look, here's the evidence that's in front of you, Vince. This is just a bad day. You need to keep pressing through. People are relying on what you're doing. So that is really inspiring and keeps you on track. Uh, And then the other type of coach I have, by the way, is I hired an accountability coach, uh, which is... Almost counterintuitive to what it is. So a lot of people, when they think accountability coach, that's someone who makes sure that you're working on the right stuff, make sure you're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing, hustling hard, constantly grinding, all those things that we used to hold as you know badges of honor as entrepreneurs, but then realized actually they're, they're terrible for you. Um, but in actual fact, she doesn't do that. She does the opposite. Her entire job is to keep me uh, from burning out and to make sure that I'm actually looking after myself and I'm taking the time for me. Um, and what she realized, she's an amazing woman, but what she realized is uh, after observing me and, and getting to know me for a while, she realized that writing is my happy place. So when I'm writing, that means I'm free. It means I've got my creativity open. It means that everything's flowing. Um, so one of the questions she asked me every single week is, so how much did you get written last week, Vince? And I'm like, oh, uh, whoops, uh, not that much. And she goes, right, that's the sign that you're not looking after yourself because that happy place is the first thing I sacrifice when I'm under pressure, when I'm under stress, when I'm under anxiety, that's the first thing that goes. So then she's got full permission to ring my wife and say, hey, I think this isn't looking after himself. And Leanne's like, yep, I agree with you. I noticed this as well. And he won't listen because he's really stubborn. So let's gang up on him. Um, So they do, and they hold me to account. And I've learned, by the way, biggest lesson you can ever learn as an entrepreneur, if you're married uh, or if you've got an accountability coach, when they say, "Are you overdoing it, or are you you're not looking after yourself?" You need to pause, reflect, and act on it because they have got your best interests at heart. And this whole hustle and grind till you die thing is not healthy, and it's not going to create a good business. So, yeah. So now, I, look, I 100% agree. Every I, I genuinely think every entrepreneur should get a coach or should get a mentor. Um, I, like I said, I've got multiple and I know that all of my mentors and my coaches also have mentors and coaches. In fact, you can go all the way up, I can guarantee you that people like Jeff Bezos, uh, all of them, they have people they can reach out to, to give them perspective, to help them fill the gaps in their knowledge and things as well. So, so don't underestimate the power of a mentor or coach, that's for sure.
2: Woo. All right. That's a good information. I might need one. So in relation with the entrepreneurship, you say, yep. how do you, how do you cope up? So you have a coaching, you got an accountability um, coach mm-hmm. as well. How you cope up with the burnout and also do you believe in work life balance as an entrepreneur?
1: Um, Oh, this is a very good question. Um, I do and I don't. Um, And what I mean by that is, um, I'm I'm the type of person that overworks, uh, mainly because I'm really, really passionate about what I do. I love being creative. I love doing my work. But I'm also terrible at seeing the signs in myself that I'm not looking after myself. So from that perspective, I do like this whole concept of work-life balance. I think you do need to balance things. However, I really don't like the word balance. And this sounds really, really finicky and really picky, but there's a reason for that. Because when you picture in your mind the concept of work-life balance, it feels like it's the seesaw where when one side is work, on the other side is, is um, life. And you have to balance and make sure that you're sacrificing from one to feed the other. But I don't actually believe that that's true. What I believe instead, I use the analogy of juggling. Um, so it's about actually juggling all these multiple different things and making sure that you're clear that when there's too many balls in the air or too many things in the air that you know which of those you can let go and which of those you have to focus on. Um, in fact, there was a theory during the rounds, uh, which oh, it really irritated me. Uh, I don't know if you, have you ever heard of four burners theory. Uh, yeah, I, 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 am sorry. Anyone who's a fan of four business theory, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. It's yeah. absolute bollocks. Like <laughs> this, this whole theory that you have these four areas of your life that you can have success in. There is uh, health, there is family, there is work, and there is friends. And I'm like, yep. And the idea is you only have enough gas to run all four of those, all four of those at 25% each. So to power up your company to succeed, you need to sacrifice energy from one of the other ones. Now, I know that the four burner theory was designed to help people to learn not to put too much energy into one of those things. But unfortunately, you're talking about entrepreneurs here. We are some of the smartest, brightest people in the world, but we are also really dumb sometimes. (laughs) And When you see things like four burners, you go, okay, I need to get this done. That means I can just sacrifice my health. I can sacrifice my family or my friends. Um, But there is a whole pile of issues I have with that theory. The first one being there are far more than four areas of your life that you can gain success. And far more than four areas of your life you need to focus on. What about community stuff? What about your hobbies? What about your interests? What about your passions? What about sports and things that don't fit under the health banner? Um, But also, um, I I can prove it wrong with one swift action, and that is my relationship with my wife. So for us, it's really important that we invest into that relationship. So we, we have date nights quite regularly, but we also do something else together. We go to the gym together five days a week. And it's really important to us that we go together. It's not just about the exercise; it's about spending time with each other. So usually we meet up at the gym about fifteen minutes earlier. We chat about the day and all this kind of thing. You know, how was the, how was the work? And you know, she she's come back from her job. Like, how was work? And how was this pressure? And oh, you were going to do this today. How'd that get on? All this kind of stuff. Um, And then we go to the gym. And and by the way, we've been told off so many times at the gym for laughing nonstop, because we have a blast. Like the two of us are just giggling and and being cheeky and mucking around. Um, So we always get told off there in the group classes. But this has proven the four burners theory wrong, because at the same time, with the same amount of energy, I'm investing in both my family, right, the relationship that's important to me, which is my wife, and my health. So so yeah, I, I call BS on that. I do believe, though, as entrepreneurs, we need to learn to be really in tune with ourselves. We need to know how our, how we're made up, how we work. We need to know when we need to um, drop some of those balls that we're juggling at the time. We need to know, in fact, a good example of this for me was a big push that I had um, in, oh, wow, I think all, no, September, October, oh, I don't know. Time and Time's lost all relevance for me at the moment. <laughs> but, but late last year, I did a virtual summit It was called the Ultimate Marketing Strategy Summit. So I brought together 30 uh, leaders in entrepreneurship and marketing and sales together from around the world. And we had this, this online summit where we were helping to give you enough information to build your ultimate marketing strategy. But I had a big push to get all of that ready. I was doing it on my own because um, I hadn't hired anyone because I was stupid. (laughs) I've remedied that since, Uh, but I was doing everything on my own. So I had this big push over a weekend. I thought I'm just going to have to knuckle down, and this is the time where I'm allowed to drop other balls because this is a short burst of focus. Um, But I got to Sunday afternoon, and I was hitting the wall, and I wasn't. I I still wasn't near where I needed to be Um, work-wise. I was going, "Oh my goodness, this is going to get quite stressful." My wife walked up and said, hmm, okay, you don't seem like yourself. Are you overdoing it? And I went, uh, yeah, I think I am. And I learned to not just listen to her, but listen to that inner voice of myself. And that's when I went, okay, I need to take action on this. I've identified it. That means I need to act on it. So I stopped working. I thought, you know, I'm not going to die in a ditch over this. If I have to delay it by a couple of days, it's not ideal. But you know what? I'll, I'll just pause I spent some time, we went for a walk, um, came back, watched some cheesy uh, Marvel TV shows, because that's what you do, you know. Uh, (laughs) So watched some superhero stuff, which I love. And then I felt a bit more refreshed. I thought, you know what, I'm going to get back to work now. And then all of a sudden, the... We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla
0: Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at Syndicate.
1: The rate that I managed to get through work, like the acceleration increased so dramatically that I realized the more and more I was hitting the wall, the more and more I was getting burnt out and tired and everything, my productivity was slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. So actually taking that time for myself to invest in me through going for a walk, through watching cheesy TV, all of a sudden my energy levels, my motivation, my momentum, all of this increased dramatically. And I plowed through that work and actually... It got it done before the deadline. So, yeah, as entrepreneurs, it's not just it's not just something to think about. It's something you have to do. You have to create, I hate the word, but balance. You have to be able to juggle those multiple things and you have to look after yourself because you are the thing that makes your company so unique. You are the thing that makes your company so special. And without you, it's nothing. Trust me.
2: So, as you said, you don't chase the wind, you chase the insight. So, yes. tell us about
1: Chasing the insight, where it came from. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, this came from necessity. Um, a lot of my things I've invented come from necessity. But um, we know we how know common ledger, one of the things all entrepreneurs, particularly if you're in the startup space, guys, you'll you'll know when you launch, you have no money. <laughs> particularly, by the way, particularly prior to doing our seed round, uh, we, were invest- we were bootstrapping the company ourselves um, and we couldn't invest that much into it. So we were like, okay, we have to be really, really efficient which meant that anything I wanted to do marketing-wise, I had to really know that it was gonna work. If I was gonna invest in it, I had to prove that it was gonna work. So I thought, right, the only way I'm gonna be able to do this is by testing things in little increments. So rather than investing all in and going, right, we're gonna run a big PR campaign in Australia, or we're gonna run a Facebook ads campaign in the US, or whatever, I had to go, you know what, I'm gonna test all of these different things. So that made me kind of realize that everything is its just like science. You need to create an experiment. You need to go, okay, I have a hypothesis that this would work, that if I put some press out there in Australia or I could get some kind of traction on the press front, that I would see some results around this. So I would come up with the smallest, what I call the minimum viable test. You would come up with the smallest thing to test possible and you would go out there and you would test it. And then the thing that I learned very quickly was that is really soul-destroying when it doesn't work. (laughs) When you're looking at this guy, I had a hypothesis, and I totally disproved this hypothesis. It really impacts you as an entrepreneur. You're like, no, I thought this was going to work. But then I had an epiphany after talking to a scientist, and we were talking about this whole concept of experimentation. And then I realized, actually, because I have a science background, I was was trained as an electronics and computer engineer. But the thing I realized is whenever we were running experiments in electronics or in, in any of science, actually, you're focused on proving or disproving the hypothesis. It's not about trying to get the gains from it. It's not about the wins. It's about being so incredibly curious that you want to know, is this going to work? And if it doesn't work, why did that not work? So that's when I realized it's I have to change my thinking. I had to change the way I approach these experiments. Instead of trying to chase the winds all the time, I really had to frame it around, I'm looking for information. I'm looking for those insights. I'm looking to learn as much as possible about what works and what doesn't work and about how my customers behave. And that I found gave me the, the fortitude. It gave me the confidence to keep pressing in. And even when those experiments weren't quite going the way I wanted, to keep testing and testing and testing. And what happens when you do that when you're actually chasing those insights instead of the the gains and the wins, is you have these tiny little incremental steps. And before you even realize it, those steps have added up to a giant leap upwards. And you look at your competitors, you look at where you were, you look at all these things, and you realize I've progressed so far here just off these tiny little incremental gains. So I took that learning from Common Ledger. I implemented that when I joined the team at Cigna. Um, And I said, right, we're going to, so I was in charge of all the digital channels, particularly like looking at how we could sell online. Um, And one of the things I realized is this is a framework that I can actually implement here. I can actually bring in experimentation. We can try all these different things, tweak them, look at where the challenges are, like in our sales funnel, or look at the challenges we're having on the website and experiment with something and see what result we get. Run as many A, B tests as you can, as many multivariant tests as you can, but just test and test and test. But then I realized, That was A-OK for me because I had the right mindset and the right frame of mind for this. But I looked at my team who were getting really, really anxious. And I remember we ran an experiment on, uh, it was just a lead generation campaign. And one of my team had come up with this hypothesis. He had seen one of the campaigns we had earlier. And he noticed that a lot of the people that entered that competition, the way they responded was with this very altruistic kind of um, bent. Like a lot of them were wanting to do work in the communities. So he said, what if? What if we run a lead generation campaign where there's nothing in it for you, where actually you get to choose what charities to give this money to? And I said, right, we'll give it a go. And it failed so badly. If you look at it as a pure campaign, it generated almost not enough leads to be able to give away the prizes. It was that crazy. But when you reframe that, as you look at the insights that we learned from that, we now had a benchmark. We had a bar where we know we don't need to go anywhere near that bar now because that won't work. So now we have to bend it back into what's in it for them. So we ran an experiment on top of that experiment. We changed the prize up a bit and said, and by the way, we're going to give you something as well. And then suddenly all the leads started coming in. So that became a mantra. I had to actually teach my ch- team as well. Don't chase the wins, chase the insights.
2: So you also have a podcast as well and you have a book on the same title. Yeah. Do you, do you agree that podcasting is very important as part of being a business owner or have or being entrepreneurs i so think just, can, to, just yeah. to um for awareness of your brand
1: yeah i think i think there's a a number of ways to answer this uh i think it really does depend on your target market in all honesty if if your brand is joe average consumer and you're a b2c kind of business not necessarily, because at the moment, we know, I think in the US, it's around 58% of people listen to podcasts, but only 24% of people actually listen to those on a weekly basis. And they have an average of around, I think it's around seven podcasts that they listen to at the same time. Um, so so based on that, I would say it may be a wasted effort if you're creating your own podcast. However, in the B2B space, oh my goodness, it positions you as a thought leader. It's one of the best tools out there to actually position yourself as a leader in your industry. Um, however, there is also, if it, like outside of starting your own podcast, there's actually a lot of power in being on other people's podcasts, like me being on yours right now, I just realized. Um, so there's actually quite a bit of power of that because you're getting in front of different audiences. And if you can get in front of your audience, as in your target market, then a podcast is a really powerful way to do that. The thing to remember is um, outside of the actual numbers of how many people listen to podcasts, there's another stat that's really, really interesting. And that is people, like if you look at YouTube, the majority of people drop out after five seconds. And that's not just because of the ads and things like that, but they drop out after five seconds. They'll test a video. It's not quite what I'm looking for. There's a whole pile of other videos. They'll click on that one. Oh, no, I'll click on that one now. I'll click on that one. Um, Or they'll abandon around 75% of the way through. However, with podcasts, the majority of people Listen to the entire episode. This podcast
0: is brought to you by Ospad Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with a mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcast and harness the power of podcasting. Book now via
1: www.kangaroofern.com. So when they commit to listening to an episode of your podcast, they commit fully, which means you've got a captive audience for your 30, your 45, your now, your hour. Uh, I've seen some podcasts, by the way, which are three hours long. I suspect not everyone listens to the entire episode for those, <laughs> but, but you have a captive audience there that are listening to you impart wisdom, listening to you, um, helping them, listening to you, adding value to them. And as we know, the more you add value to your target market, the more you give away for free, which essentially you're doing on a podcast, you're giving away your knowledge for free, the more that they feel a connection towards you and the more that they mentally picture you as being a thought leader.
2: Great, interesting. So I said you're also being a thought leader as well. Why all entrepreneurs should um, consider stepping into a thought leadership?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think because it's like a lot of business. If you look at why people buy, um, like why people buy from you as an entrepreneur, they buy for three reasons. They know you, they like you, they trust you, right? We, we call it the know, like, trust layer. You'll hear this a lot in marketing and entrepreneurship. Um, so knowing you, um, that's where you've got to be visible. You've got to consistently turn up. That's the key, be consistent. Um, and the like factor That's where your personality really has to come through. Um, And then of course the trust factor, which is the harder one of the three to build. And often that trust factor comes from seeing you as a thought leader. Like if they see you as somebody who is an authority then they won't doubt what you have to say. If they see you as somebody who is closer to where they are, then they may doubt what you're trying to tell them. So for example, if you're saying, hey, my product does this and this and this. They'll go, "Yeah, no, yeah, but you would say that. Whereas if you're a thought leader, they look at it and go, well, I can trust what it is you have to say. Um, and an interesting fact on this, this is just a complete sidetrack, but it fascinates me, is accents. Um, so I've seen this before where uh, I've been at a conference and I got up on stage and I said something. And I was like, yeah, my team were there. And they hadn't heard me talk about this um, particular topic before. So I'm like, right. So I'm imparting all this wisdom. I'm up there going, oh, yeah, I'm a thought leader. I'm imparting all this wisdom. And then we had an American guy there. And he got up there after me. And he actually referenced what I talked about. He said, oh, as Vincent said, blah, blah, blah. And he repeated it. And afterwards, I was talking to my team. I said, what would you get out of that? And they said, oh, it was when the American guy said, and they quoted all the stuff that I'd said. And I'm like, you realize he was quoting me for goodness sake, but because he had a like, he had more authority because he had a different accent, so therefore he's not as familiar to them, and because I was someone they already knew, they they pictured what he said as being more authoritative and more accurate than what I said, despite the fact that he was literally just repeating me. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a really important thing. Thought leadership is something that we don't invest enough time and energy in. Um, But I think particularly, by the way, if you're in the B2B space, so business to business space, it is an absolute necessity because businesses need to know that they can trust you. They need to know that you know what they're doing because they're entrusting you with their money, with their data, with their customers, whatever it is, they're trusting you with that. So they need to know you know what you're talking about. So thought leadership is an absolute must. Thank you so much.
2: Do you have any final advice or anything else you want to share with individual who is even a business owner or starting up a new business or a startup that, that's sure. get an idea. Uh,
1: yeah. I think, I think that the biggest, thing, and this is going to sound so vague at first, but you've got to believe in yourself a lot more than you do. Um, the fact is you're an entrepreneur and you've gotta understand that actually makes you something special. Like entrepreneurship is nothing to scoff at. Like, you know, we we you know often think low of ourselves or we think low of what we're trying to think or we think, oh, this will never work or whatever. But you actually have the courage to try and create something that doesn't exist, right? And by that, I mean, even if you're creating, like say for example, I don't know, you're making springs. I'm just coming up with a random example now. You're making springs and there are 100,000 other spring manufacturers out there. But the reality is, you are the only company that has you there, that has your experiences, that has your knowledge, that has everything you've learned over your career, that has all of the scars that you have, that has your DNA, your personality, your way of operating, uh, all of those different things that make your company so absolutely unique. So it doesn't matter if there's 100,000 spring companies out there, you are the only you, which means you are birthing something that doesn't exist, calling it into existence, that is worth celebrating. So I think we don't give ourselves enough credit as entrepreneurs, we're, we, we're quite harsh on ourselves. I think we need to learn to be kinder to ourselves and we need to actually, on those days where, like I said, that we all face, and, and any entrepreneur that tells you they don't is lying, but all of us face those days where we wake up and we go, what the hell am I doing? I'm a moron, I should go and get a real job. My mum and dad were right, all, you know, all these different, different thoughts that get their claws into our brains. On those days, we need to give ourselves permission to be human. There's permission to be to have a bad day and to have a good day. That's kind of what makes us so special as, as human beings. But we also need to learn to be kind to ourselves and to back ourselves. Because guess what? The only difference between you and other successful entrepreneurs, it isn't your education, Right, because there are people out there. Look at Russell Brunson. He was a high school dropout. He was a uh, dropout of uh, in his MBA. He never completed his MBA, and yet he's built a three hundred and eighty million dollar company in the U.S. with ClickFunnels. Right. So, what's different between him and a Harvard graduate? Uh, it's certainly not the education. You know. So what is it that makes that so unique is the fact that he just consistently turned up. And even when he wasn't feeling it, even when he was having bad days, even when he was facing heaps of pressure and anxiety, he just kept backing himself, believing in himself and turned up. So the only difference between you and those entrepreneurs is the fact that they've actually stepped out and done it. So you can do that too. So I'm, I'm oh man, you've, you push my buttons now. I'm a firm believer. I'm going to get on my soapbox. I'm a firm believer that we need to be really kind to ourselves. In fact, I'll give you a good analogy because uh, my wife is one of the most empathetic people you'll ever meet in your life. She's just a, she's just one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. To be honest, um, like I said, she used to be an early childcare teacher, but she so passionately wanted to help people with addictions. Mm-hmm. So passionately wanted to be able to make an impact on this world. So she got outside of her comfort zone. She um, enrolled in university again and thought, I'm going to change at you know at a later age in life. So this was only a few years back. I'm going to change my career. I'm going to learn something new. She didn't feel like she would be any good at it. She didn't feel like, you know, she, she thought all these young people there, they're going to be so much faster at learning. They're going to pick this up far, far quicker than me. Um, she thinks she's not good at technology. She's actually a lot better than she thinks she is, but, you know, she doubts herself. But she went to university and she nailed it right, she ended up graduating top of her class, um, she was an exemplary student, exemplary employee, and now she's she's actually landed her dream job. But the fact is one day, she would, she had stuffed up, she made a mistake, I can't remember what it was now, but she said something and she was really harsh on herself. And I, it just came to me, I thought, wait a minute, well, how would you react if that was me that made that mistake? Or that was one of your team that made that mistake? Or it was someone you were dealing with at work that made that mistake? you would be incredibly forgiving because that's the type of person you are. But because you made that mistake, you're incredibly harsh on yourself. You need to treat yourself like you treat other people. Uh, Unfortunately, she's also incredibly smart and then realized very quickly that that's exactly what I do as well. So she turned the whole thing around on me and said, what, you mean like you treat yourself? like, damn, she got me. Um, But it's something we all do as entrepreneurs. We are far harsher on ourselves than we are on anybody else. So pick your favorite person, Pick somebody that you really, really, you love and you want the best for, and you will always be there for. Pick that person and treat yourself like you treat that person.
2: Very well said, um, Vince. Any parting word before we go?
1: Um, no, uh, just, uh, oh man, party words. <laughs> man, every time you give me a platform to talk, I love talking. Uh, I'm passionate about talking. I'm passionate about helping people. Now, look, you guys are amazing. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, I genuinely believe it's a high calling. So just do it, guys. Um, I know Nike kind of stole and trademarked that, that saying, but I reckon we should take it back as entrepreneurs and go, you know what? I'm just going to start. I'm just going to put my foot in front of the other and I'm just going to do it anyway
2: thank you so much for that Vince so all the show no, all the links will be on the show notes of this podcast and also it can be show as well on a different social media pa- platform and also thank you for your time vince i know it's going be it's already evening on on Wellington and yep. um, I miss Wellington. I wish I can go back and visit my relatives there.
1: (laughs) I was (laughs) going to say we we wish we could travel anywhere at the moment, but we can't. We we we're kind of pandemic free at the moment. We only have cases in managed isolation, but we can't go anywhere because even if you could get out of the country, the reality is you can't get back in. There's a huge waiting line for a waiting um, queue for getting into isolation, so frustrating. I, I'm feeling that that need to get overseas. I've got so many clients in Australia and in the US and Canada. I just need to get in front of them and, and be there. But yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's such a, so much fun being on here. I will say as one little last parting thing, uh, we do have a summit coming up, uh, but all of those links will be in the show notes there. Um doing another virtual summit with 30 speakers from around the world. We have some incredible talent in there, actually. i will be blown away by that. Um, and also Academy Program, which is launching. So all of those will be in the show notes as well.
2: So how would you, if someone wanted to contact you, how are they going to contact you?
1: I've made that super easy. (laughs) The easiest way is just go to chasingtheinsights.com. Um, so that is the website for my podcast. You'll also find my book on there. You'll find the summit on there. In um, the next day or so, you'll find my uh, the page for my academy program, which I'm launching at the end of February. But also on there, you will find the social media links. And that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Come and join my Facebook group. Uh, it's an awesome group of entrepreneurs. They're really supportive of each other. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get in front of me. But just reach out to me. I'm always, always keen for a virtual coffee. I'm always keen to jump on Zoom with you, to chat through your problems, to chat through, when I say problems, entrepreneur and marketing problems. Like seriously, if it's a health-related problems, I'm not the person you should be going to. If you've got a rash, don't come to me. I'll just go, ooh. But if you need some help with something, I'm here, just reach out to me. I'm always keen to help as many people as I can.
2: All right. Thank you so much. And also thank you to my sponsor. It's Kangaroo Firm Media Lab. It's a podcast management service who is doing everything for me. Thank you so much and see you next week for another episode of Bootstrap Podcast under Ospod Syndicate. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit our website at www.ospodsyndicate.com.au where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. You can also join the conversation with OsPod Syndicate on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please consider on making a donation to help us keep making the podcasts you love. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at com.